This is Sheila, and it's the Communicate Influence podcast. In this episode, I talk to journalist and podcaster Kathleen Goldhar about the impact podcasting is having on journalism. We talk about the role podcasting plays in journalism, how print journalists can get into podcasting, and what Kathleen looks for in a good podcast. You can find Kathleen's links and the current show she's listening to in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Communicate Influence podcast is brought to you by Podmotion, a new podcast production and promotion agency. Podmotion specializes in solving the two big problems podcasters face, not knowing where to begin when wanting to launch a new show and struggling to find the time to continue with an established show. Go to podmotion.co for details. That's P-O-D-M-O-T-I-O-N dot C-O for details. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sheila. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, I know you're a podcaster and a journalist. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Sure. So, uh Professionally, uh, journalism has always been in my life. My dad is a journalist and uh, my dad and my mom ran a group of community newspapers in Toronto for most of my life. Uh, and I was very much involved in it from delivering them in the early days to working at the front desk, collecting classified ads. And eventually, um, after I went to Ryerson uh, for journalism school, I started as a reporter there and then moved towards um uh, sort of uh, more uh, bigger outlets. Um, but I started as a journalist because my dad was in journalism school. Uh, or sorry, my dad was a journalist. Uh, but I didn't always want to be a journalist. I actually have an undergraduate degree in English with a minor in poetry. And I wanted to be a poet. Uh, but the year after I graduated from my undergrad, I was on a big travel year. And I realized I didn't write one poem. Uh, so I thought to myself, what is missing? And I realized it was a deadline. Uh, so the only thing that I thought I could do other than being a forever student was to become a journalist and get some deadlines in my life. So while I was way down in Patagonia, I called my father. And at that time, as you can imagine, it was in the 80s. Long distance calls were pretty expensive. It wasn't like picking up my cell phone with international calling. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a big deal to call from the the end of the Southern Hemisphere. And um, I asked him to put in an application to Ryerson for me. And I get in and I, so I have my, what is the equivalent of a master's degree in journalism? It wasn't that at the time. It was bachelor of, I can't remember what they call it now, but it's because I'm old and they didn't have a master's degree then, but it was a two year program for people who had already an undergraduate degree. So I thought I was going to be a print reporter like my dad, which is what I wanted to do. And I went and did a couple of internships at the Toronto Star and the Vancouver Sun. And my first full-time job was in Whitehorse in the Yukon, which was pretty wonderful at the Whitehorse Star there. Uh, and then I met the man who would eventually be my ex-husband. <laughs> but no, it's okay. It all worked out. Um, but we, um, he was also a journalist and got a job uh, in um, Winnipeg after a year and a bit in Whitehorse uh, when the National Post first started. And so we moved to Winnipeg together and I couldn't find a job at the newspaper there. Um, and because we had friends who used to live in the Yukon and moved to Winnipeg and were working at the CBC, 
I was lucky enough to get in as a casual reporter there. And that's kind of basically how my CBC life started. So that would have been in the year 2000 or 1999, maybe. So it's a long time now. And um, I hated it at first. Absolutely hated writing for radio. I was called my dad and I said, I can never use a comma again. This is the worst thing. And he just said, take your time and see if you can figure it out because radio can be pretty lovely. Um, Because his first real job was actually as a radio reporter too. Uh, And I did. And I actually grew to love telling stories using an audio uh, format. And I just completely fell in love with it. And so eventually, uh, we spent two years in Winnipeg. And I eventually got a job in Toronto at CBC. And that's where we moved. And I, long story short, started as one of the original producers for The Current. And kept that up for 17 years, eventually becoming its executive producer for the last three years. Um, But what kind of changed that course for me was that I got to produce with a colleague from The Current, a podcast called Escaping Nexium, which was the first CBC's Uncover season. And it was probably the best professional experience of my life up until that point. And I couldn't believe how much I loved everything about the job and everything about the work. And it ended up being a really positive experience and a huge hit, which was very exciting. And um, then I did another podcast with Uncover called Charmini with a really dear friend of mine that I actually went to Ryerson with, uh, Michelle Shepard. And then I got offered a job at a company where I am now called Antica. And Antica is a production house that mostly just does podcasting. So now I am the executive producer of production there. And I've been there for nearly a year now. Mm. That is, it's a very interesting, interesting and impressive journey. Um, You know, you've, you've been incredibly flexible and uh, open to, to new opportunities. And I have to admit that I feel like a small thrill because I I listened (laughs) to um, escaping Nexium and, um, I thought it was really good. It was fascinating. I had no idea that something like that existed and it was kind of scary listening to it as well. So it's well worthwhile listening to listeners. If you haven't heard that show, I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks. Wow. So now you're kind of not on the, on the dead. Well, yeah, you'll have deadlines. Everyone at work does, but uh, different kinds of deadlines. Tell us what, what kind of shows you're doing before we kind of look more closely at journalism and podcasting. Sure. So I, I I actually am really lucky because I a lot of the podcasts that I'm working on right now are serialized ones, which means they're like Escaping Nexium and Charmini. So they're six to eight episodes long and they're a narrative arc that spans the whole time. And they're about one big story that we really get to seek our, seek our, sink our teeth into, which is one of the things that I really love about serialized podcasting is you actually have the space to really engage in a story and tell it in a much more full way. Than I think you do, even in a documentary that we get to do on the current, which you know could be half an hour or two part hour or ideas, which is an hour, which is all very lovely. Um, but until podcasting came along, that was sort of the majority of the time the longest form of storytelling you could do. Mm. So now I get to do longer stories, and I've never written a book, but I remember coming out of Escaping Nexium and feeling like this must be what it feels like to write a book because it takes a really long time. And there's so much consideration and so much material. 
Um, so now I am in the midst. So I do a lot of serialized ones. So I'm in the midst of writing and producing one uh, for a client that we have in the States. And I am, I've got a couple of other ones sort of teed up to go as soon as this one is done. And those are the six to eight episode ones. And then I do work on some other podcasts that Antica produces that are more of a weekly or sort of uh, um, episode, self-contained episode. So we do one called Big Tech, which is about technology uh, and media. Uh, we're doing, we, we produce the Monk Debates uh, podcast. Um, so those are sort of more self-contained. <clears throat> and uh, we do some work for, uh, uh, we're going to be producing other ones, like we're doing one now about uh, the culture of food in Canada, and we're going across the country, although it's a bit of a damper since COVID, but we're going across the country and narrowing in with a book, um, with a woman who's written a lot of books on food, but very focused on the culture of the the food, the growing, the cooking, the people, and it's all, it, it obviously there's recipes and food attached, but it all connects to the culture. So those are the sort of things that I'm doing now. Wow. Yeah. Really interesting. So, I mean, are those podcasts commissioned by clients? Is that how that yeah, works? So that's yeah. generally how we work as Antica. We either get commissioned by clients. So we have clients. We're actually doing some work for NBC's wing. Uh, we're doing Audible um, and some CBC work as well. They, they also do commission privately. So we're in the midst of doing some work with them. The other way that we do it is we have foundation work. So we have, we just put out a podcast with Mount Sinai Foundation and we're still working on another one. Uh, and uh, like the Monk Foundation uh, supports the Monk Debates podcast. Uh, and we did something with the Atkinson Foundation with a reporter with the Toronto Star called Hustled. And it was all about working for an app during the Fudora Union Drive, which was a great podcast. So that's the ways. And then we do a little bit of branded work, but not as much. Right. So let's jump into journalism and podcasting. Most journalists today, from what I can see, every, every journalism program in Canada offers podcasting or audio storytelling. So they're learning it um, right from, from day one when they go into the classroom. How much is podcasting being used in, in journalism and what kind of role is it playing? Well, I don't think you can do anything without a podcast anymore. I mean, every news organization has one. CBC has one, whether it's an original podcast, which they do a lot of and amazing work, or like all the shows are sent out on a podcasting format. Um, so, I, I, you know, podcasting is as much a part of journalism as print, as digital storytelling, as... TV news is like, there's just no separating it now. Um, a lot of people only, including myself. Well, no, that's not fair. I actually do read a lot online, but you know, I listen to podcasts all day, all the time uh, when I'm not making them. So it's, it is journalism. There's no way around it. And in, in your view, as someone who's worked in journalism and is now a podcast producer, what, what makes uh, a journalistic podcast really stand out? What are the, the elements that make it great, worthy of listening to? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's a, whole, there's a million things. Like, I don't think there's one thing or a few things that do that. I, it could be from, you know, the intimacy that, that, that podcasting allows. So, you know, like The Daily, which is still my, I listen to it every single day. It's my staple. It's the New York Times one they they were really the first and probably still really the best at this 
or one of the best. And, you know, you could read all their stories in the newspaper that they have. Of course you can. And, and I do. Um, but what podcasting and what audio does is it just uh, goes straight into your brain because it's so intimate. So it's a chance to hear the people. It's a chance to hear them interact with the journalists a lot of times, which is really nice. Um, and um, so it's that connection to the people that I think podcasting does. And that's not just news. I mean, that's everything about a podcast, right? Mm, yes. Um, yeah. Though, as you've described, those qualities of a podcast, like the intimacy, hearing the person telling the story, hearing that person's voice, how they express themselves, that those things are unique to, to podcasting. You're, you're right. In terms of journalism and news, is there, are there key elements that you look for if you listen to a new news podcast that you're going to think, hmm, I didn't particularly enjoy it or like it, I probably won't listen again, or wow, I really like it, I'm going to listen every day. I mean, and it's very personal, but it's like, it could be the sound of the host's voice, <laughs> it could yeah. be their delivery, it could be the quality of the work, like obviously I'm pretty particular because I can tell right away if the quality is good and why it's not good. Um, if it's old-fashioned writing, uh, if it sounds too much like a newscast. Um, so those are sort of the things that I would say if it doesn't tell me anything new or give me any insight that I wouldn't be able to get already, I'm not particularly keen on it. But that's what I love about podcasting. It can be so different. Like um, the CBC puts out that, um, what's it called? The, the news podcast they do with Rosie Barton and uh, uh, what's it called? Um, Front Party Lines. Okay. So it's just those two talking. Uh but they are the most engaging people. They really like each other. They're giving me new information, but it's kind of hidden in this lovely conversation that they've got going. So it doesn't have to be one particular thing. And if they don't have the chemistry, then I'm going to notice it and not want to listen to it. But if they have that chemistry, and plus these two are so well situated in the world of politics and everything else that they're doing that it really feels like this I'm being invited into this conversation which is podcasting can do so well but they don't alienate me they make me feel like I'm welcome there mm. and of course I mean that's a political that's a podcast about politics so you have to have that interest but you know from what you said even if you're not into politics it's worthwhile listening to that podcast to you know find out what a chemistry sounds like between 100%. two people yeah exactly and a natural conversation that i know is i know they go in there with a really good sense of what like i know they have producers and i know that they've talked about it and worked it out ahead of time like it isn't on the cuff off the cuff but it does sound that way which has actually become a bit of a problem for us as producers because po the best podcasts sound easy, casual, and uh, unscripted. But in the true senses, uh, it, they are never that way. The best ones are actually the most produced. It's just that they've got a really talented group of people, both as hosts and producers, working on it. So they're a lot of work, but they don't sound like it's a lot of work, which tricks people into thinking they're easy to do, which is why we have so many podcasts right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's such a good point. Uh, I totally agree with that, that, you know, when, when something looks easy, uh, you think, yeah, I can do it. But the people behind it have got, you know, incredible skill. Yeah. Uh, sometimes very very qualification. Yeah. yeah. Very, very well thought through and considered. And there's a lot of ex experience that goes into it. So yeah. yeah, I mean, Party Lines is a great one for that because it sounds super casual, but those two hosts are not 
inexperienced people. They've done a lot of thought going into it and their producers are great producers who really understand the subjects too. And there's been a lot of consideration before they start. And a lot of work on the post-production. There's a good editor in there who's getting in there and cutting conversations and making it sound great too. So a team behind that podcast making it work. Yeah, they have a very good team. They have to, to be that good. Now, I just want to quickly jump back to one of the words that, that you use when you were describing what appeals to you in a podcast. And you use the word quality. You know, you look for quality, quality production. Could you break that down a little bit for podcasters outside of journalism and also those within journalism just getting into it are wanting to up their game a bit? Sure. So it could be technical quality for sure, like the sound of the recording, the mics you use, the programs you use to edit, that kind of thing. Um, If the quality is hard to hear or if it sounds like a phone line constantly or just something that doesn't sound great, you can tell I can tell and I don't love it. And I know it's necessary, and especially in COVID, God, we've made a lot of significant changes and we've had to drop our quality expectations down a bit technically because that's all we could. You can't go into studios anymore. Uh, but there's also the quality of the writing and the script and stuff like that. Like I, I always say like a couple of things. I always say that, um, if you, you know, list most people listening to podcasts, including myself are doing something else while they're doing it. So I'm a mom, I'm taking care of my kids. I'm driving places. I'm getting them out the door when they did go to school. (laughs) Um, I'm on the streetcar or whatever, going to work when I was, uh, whatever the case may be, I'm cooking often in the evening when I'm getting dinner and stuff ready. I'm really listening. That's my favorite time, but I am doing something else. And so if you're, if you um, don't pay attention to your audience and think they need to be equipped with all the information that they need as, as the other information is coming at them. If you make me stop and ask who's that character or what did he do again? Or who's this person? then you've lost me. And if that happens too many times, I'm going to turn off the podcast. Um, So as complicated as podcast stories can be and nuanced and smart, they also have to be quite straightforward and simple because we don't, we're not reading so we can go back. Uh, We're not having the extra advantage of having a visual reminder like you do in television. I'm not going to make notes while I'm listening to a podcast. So I need the story itself to unfold in a very practical and a very simple way. Again, not saying that it has to be stupid but or dumb at all, but you have to really think about your listener and how prepared they are to be joining you on the story. So that's like a big part of the quality for me. That's when I know that it's produced well is when I never have that problem. And they're always kind of remind, like helping me. If I do need to go back in my mind to a character that was introduced a few episodes ago, they, I'm not a fan of saying, remember in episode two, this is so-and-so, but they'll do something, they'll write something that will jog my memory as to who that person was and then I'll be okay. But they're, they're thinking about what I'm listening to, which I really, really appreciate. Um. The other thing, and this is in terms of writing. So this is advice that I always give to my producers that when I'm executing a story or story editing, and as I say to them, you got to remember that podcasting is actually about foreplay. It's not about the deed. Uh, Because you're not going to get me to where you want to get me at the end of that if you don't include the foreplay. 
So you have to start slowly. You have to allow me to digest the information. You have to kind of build the tension. You have to get me up that hill <laughs> before you let me drop off. And it's a instinct a lot of times, especially new people, but I find even experienced podcast producers will just get me there too quickly. And a lot of times I think it comes from the fact that we wrote news stories forever and you have two minutes. So you got to get that information out there as quickly as you can. But with writing podcasts, you have 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever the podcast takes. You have that time to allow me to go along with you, but go along with you in the way that like foreplay takes, takes place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's so, a good analogy. Yeah. So to me, that's a real uh, quality control when I'm listening and I'm like, oh, you just gave me the final blow uh, in the first five minutes or you just gave it to me too quickly or, you know, you could have built up the tension a little longer. So I, and I'm not saying that's an easy thing. And I actually I'm not even I'm still learning it. And it's still something that I pay attention to. And it's going to be a constant it's constant for me as a producer to keep that in mind and to work on it and figure out the way that that works. But that is really important to me. No, I think that that's so true. I mean, both of the things that you shared, the, the skill in taking the reader along with you and reminding them of something that may have happened in the past. You don't take notes when you're podcasting. You can't kind of on your ebook flick back to the page and say, mm, where was I? That whole thing. And you're right, that is a skill. Some people have it by instinct, some have to learn it. But if you if you don't have it, you're going to make uh, more mistakes than the person who does, the storyteller sure. who does, sure. yeah. yeah. And I think as well, I'm curious, really curious to know your thoughts on, you know, we're in this age where there's just way too much content. We can't read, listen to, watch all the things that we want to. And there's some awful content out there that, you know, they're kind of rushing to this conclusion and you're supposed to be surprised, shocked, uh, laughing hysterically, and it's just not there, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do you feel this age of like speed and attempts to attract attention affect the, the beautiful telling of a, a narrative at a given pace? Um, you know what? It's okay. I mean, I, I think that's the way that all things that uh, get, like, that's the same for TV. But you find the ones you love, you know what I mean? Like, you, you and, and the things that are great rise above. So I, I think it's just, a, it's just an indication that it, it's a medium that's not going away, that is never going to sort of run out of uh, opportunities and stories to tell. So you just work at your own work and, and, and I don't mind that there's, you know, a whole bunch of crap out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it keeps, it does busy up the space, but just like, just like in TV, the good stuff will find its way to the top. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe the advice there for the, the new podcaster is to not get distracted by all the noise that's going on in the world around them and to remain committed to those principles of storytelling oh, sure. regardless. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now let's, let's shift a little bit to, um, journalists who are older. They, they went to a uh, journalism school when it was divided into, you know, print and broadcast. Yeah. Which is what I did. Yeah. 
I did print journalism too. And mm. um, you obviously, you have to have some flexibility and make the shift into podcasting if you're, if you're still working in print and you need some kind of change. Your career hasn't advanced or you haven't wanted it to. You haven't wanted to become some kind of editor or um, supervisor or working on copy editing. How do these, these print journalists get into podcasting? What should they be doing? Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think they should be doing what everybody does who wants to get good at anything is you just listen. So in podcasting, you'd listen. You should listen to a lot. You should find out what you like and then really be critical and a critical, uh, constructive about what it is that you like and what you don't like. That's like the biggest advice. Just mm-hmm. like if you want to write a book, if you want to be a writer, you should read a lot. Yeah. If you want to be a podcast producer, you should listen to a lot. I think there's a lot of people that don't listen to podcasts and then say they want to make a podcast. One, you're going to bump into the fact that there's a million podcasts just like the one you're thinking about. And two, it, can't, it might not be as good as all the other ones out there. So just listen. And, and then when you're listening, spend some time thinking to yourself, why did that work for me? Why didn't it work for me? What are the pl- places that I can find inspiration what do I want to stay away from? Just that kind of thing. That's my biggest advice is listen. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. Instead of jumping in and asking the question that everyone seems to ask, what microphone should I buy? Yeah. Even yeah. before they've thought about what their story might be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Cool. And there's lots of technical advice out there, um, plenty oh, of yeah. courses. So once you've done plenty of listening, you can move in that direction and find out how you want to learn and how you want to proceed with your story idea. Yeah. Look, yeah. Looking at freelance journalism, um, should, should freelancers have their own podcasts? You know, I'm not sure I know. I, I mean, I don't know what I, there's no reason why they can't. Uh, but again, you know, it's very hard to be heard. So it might just be a passion project for them. Um, and I, and I, and I'm not in the news business anymore and I haven't been really in the news business for a very long time. So I don't know the business in terms of how that helps you, what you can sell and what you can't sell. Um, you know, podcasting is difficult to find ways to make money from podcasting. I think that's where we're at right now is trying to figure that out as an industry. And, um, so I think that the freelancers are part of that conversation, but I don't have enough information really to know. I don't know, you know what, and I'm not hiring freelancers in that way. Uh, so I don't know if that helps an editor, they'll listen to your podcast and say, yeah, do that story. I really don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. I, I feel like a little bit under-equipped to answer that question. I mean, it can't doesn't hurt anybody to do it, but it's a lot of work. So I guess it depends on what you want from it. Yeah, I mean, I would say, well, you said this really anyway, that it doesn't hurt to have the, the skills and possibly to have your own show about freelance journalism and maybe drop one episode a month to show that you have the skill. Uh, as long as it's good enough, you know what you're doing. That can you know, adding that skill to you, but was a good thing. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, that absolutely. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't know in a business case, you know, how to answer that question. Do you have any final advice for journalists who are podcasting? And uh, I'd love it if you would share with us what shows you might be listening to today. <laughs> um, well, I think I told you the advice. I, I think the advice is to listen and to really understand what you like. 
Um, what I'm listening to, let me open up my thing. So I, there's a new slow burn out, the third, fourth episode season, I think, uh, on David Duke, which I really enjoy. Bloodlines is about the scandal behind uh, Katrina and what happened. Oh, that, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Beautifully produced. Um, I'm listening to Blood Ties, second season. It's like a drama from Wonderly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know if you ever heard Uncivil, but it's so good. Uncivil. What's that about? Yeah. It's a basically looking at the history of the Civil War, but telling it from the perspective of African-Americans. Oh, I see. So it's like the true story of all the Civil War, which is really great. And then Unfinished Deep South, which is about the murder of a black man in the southern states again. It's very good. Yeah, those are yeah. great recommendations. Um, personally, I haven't lis listened to any of those shows, so I'm going to be checking them out. Good. Yeah, it's been wonderful talking to you. You've shared so much, so many pointers that I think people will really appreciate. So thank you for your time and generosity. Okay. Yeah. And we look forward to talking to you again very soon. You too. All right. Thanks. Take care. Okay.